Section 16 of The Descent of Man, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. The Descent of Man, Part 2 by Charles Darwin. Chapter 14. Birds. Continued. Part 1. Choice exerted by the female. Length of courtship. Unpaired birds, mental qualities and tastes for the beautiful, preference or antipathy shown by the female for particular males, variability of birds, variations sometimes abrupt, laws of variation, formation of a celly, gradations of character, case of peacock, argus pheasant, and eurostict. When the sexes differ in beauty, or in the power of singing, or in producing what I have called instrumental music, it is almost invariably the male who surpasses the female. These qualities, as we have just seen, are evidently of high importance to the male. When they are gained for only a part of the year, it is always before the breeding season. It is the male alone who elaborately displays his varied attractions, and often performs strange antics on the ground or in the air in the presence of the female. Each male drives away, or if he can, kills his rivals. Hence we may conclude that it is the object of the male to induce the female to pair with him, and for this purpose he tries to excite or charm her in various ways and this is the opinion of all those who have carefully studied the habits of living birds but there remains a question which has an all-important bearing on sexual selection namely does every male of the same species excite and attract the female equally or does she exert a choice and prefer certain males this latter question can be answered in the affirmative by much direct and indirect evidence it is far more difficult to decide what qualities determine the choice of the female, but here again we have some direct and indirect evidence that it is to a large extent the external attractions of the male, though no doubt his vigour, courage, and other mental qualities come into play. We will begin with the indirect evidence. Length of Courtship the lengthened period during which both sexes of certain birds meet day after day at an appointed place probably depends partly on the courtship being a prolonged affair and partly on reiteration in the act of pairing thus in germany and scandinavia the balzen or leks of the black cocks last from the middle of march all through april into may as many as forty or fifty or even more birds congregate at the leks and the same place is often frequented during successive years the lek of the capercailzie lasts from the end of march to the middle or even end of may in north america the partridge dances of the tetrao fascianellus last for a month or more other kinds of grouse both in north america and eastern siberia nordman describes the balzen of tetraourogaloides in amurland he estimated the number of birds assembled at above a hundred not counting the females which lie hid in the surrounding bushes the noises uttered differ from those of t urogallus follow nearly the same habits 
the fowlers discover the hillocks where the ruffs congregate by the grass being trampled bare and this shows that the same spot is long frequented the indians of guiana are well acquainted with the cleared arenas where they expect to find the beautiful cocks of the rock and the natives of new guinea know the trees where from ten to twenty male birds of paradise in full plumage congregate in this latter case it is not expressly stated that the females meet on the same trees but the hunters if not specially asked would probably not mention their presence as their skins are valueless small parties of an african weaver plosius congregate during the breeding season and perform for hours their graceful evolutions large numbers of the solitary snipe scolopax major assemble during dusk in a morass and the same place is frequented for the same purpose during successive years here they may be seen running about like so many large rats puffing out their feathers flapping their wings and uttering the strangest cries some of the above bird the black cock capercailzi pheasant grouse rough solitary snipe and perhaps others are as is believed polygamists with such birds it might have been thought that the stronger males would simply have driven away the weaker and then at once have taken possession of as many females as possible but if it be indispensable for the male to excite or please the female we can understand the length of the courtship and the congregation of so many individuals of both sexes at the same spot certain strictly monogamous species likewise hold nuptial assemblages this seems to be the case in scandinavia with one of the ptarmigans and their leks last from the middle of march to the middle of may in australia the lyre-bird menura superba forms small round hillocks and the m alberti scratches for itself shallow holes or as they are called by the natives corroborying places where it is believed both sexes assemble the meetings of the m superba are sometimes very large and an account has lately been published by a traveller who heard in a valley beneath him thickly covered with scrub a din which completely astonished him on crawling onwards he beheld to his amazement about one hundred and fifty of the magnificent lyre-cocks ranged in order of battle and fighting with indescribable fury the bowers of the bower-bird are the resort of both sexes during the breeding-season and here the males meet and contend with each other for the favours of the female and here the latter assemble and coquette with the males with two of the genera the same bower is resorted to during many years the common magpie corvus pica lynn as i have been informed by the rev w darwin fox used to assemble from all parts of delamere forest in order to celebrate the great magpie marriage some years ago these birds abounded in extraordinary numbers so that a gamekeeper killed in one morning nineteen males and another killed by a single shot seven birds at roost together they then had the habit of assembling very early in the spring at particular spots where they could be seen in flocks chattering sometimes fighting bustling and flying about the trees the whole affair was evidently considered by the birds as one of the highest importance 
Shortly after the meeting they all separated, and were then observed by Mr. Fox and others to be paired for the season. In any district in which a species does not exist in large numbers, great assemblages cannot, of course, be held, and the same species may have different habits in different countries. For instance, I have heard of only one instance from Mr. Wedderburn of a regular assemblage of black game in Scotland, yet these assemblages are so well known in Germany and Scandinavia that they have received special names. Unpaired Birds from the facts now given, we may conclude that the courtship of birds belonging to widely different groups is often a prolonged, delicate, and troublesome affair. There is even reason to suspect, improbable as this will at first appear, that some males and females of the same species inhabiting the same district do not always please each other, and consequently do not pair. Many accounts have been published of either the male or female of a pair having been shot and quickly replaced by another. This has been observed more frequently with the magpie than with other birds, owing perhaps to its conspicuous appearance and nest. The illustrious Jenner states that in Wiltshire one of the pair was daily shot no less than seven times successively but all to no purpose for the remaining magpie soon found another mate and the last pair reared their young a new partner is generally found on the succeeding day but mr thompson gives the case of one being replaced on the evening of the same day even after the eggs are hatched if one of the old birds is destroyed a mate will often be found this occurred after an interval of two days in a case recently observed by one of sir j lubbock's keepers the first and most obvious conjecture is that male magpies must be much more numerous than females and that in the above cases as well as in many others which could be given the males alone had been killed this apparently holds good in some instances, for the gamekeepers in Delamere Forest assured Mr. Fox that the magpies and carrion crows, which they formerly killed in succession in large numbers near their nests, were all males, and they accounted for this fact by the males being easily killed whilst bringing food to the sitting females. MacGillivray, however, gives, on the authority of an excellent observer, an instance of three magpies successively killed on the same nest, which were all females, and another case of six magpies successively killed while sitting on the same eggs, which renders it probable that most of them were females, though, as I hear from Mr. Fox, the male will sit on the eggs when the female is killed. Sir J. Lubbock's gamekeeper has repeatedly shot, but how often he could not say, one of a pair of jays, garrulous glandarius, and has never failed shortly afterwards to find the survivor rematched. Mr. Fox, Mr. F. Bond, and others have shot one of a pair of carrion crows, Corvus coronae, but the nest was soon again tenanted by a pair. These birds are rather common, but the peregrine falcon, falco peregrinus is rare yet mr thompson states that in ireland if either an old male or female be killed in the breeding season not an uncommon circumstance another mate is found within a very few days so that the eyries notwithstanding such casualties are sure to turn out their complement of young 
Mr. Jenner Weir has known the same thing with the peregrine falcons at Beachy Head. The same observer informs me that three kestrels, falco tenunculus, all males, were killed one after the other whilst attending the same nest. Two of these were in mature plumage, but the third was in the plumage of the previous year. Even with the rare golden eagle, Aquilar chrysitos, Mr. Burbeck was assured by a trusty gamekeeper in Scotland that if one is killed, another is soon found. So with the white owl, Strix flamia, the survivor readily found a mate and the mischief went on. White of Selborne, who gives the case of the owl, adds that he knew a man, who from believing that partridges when paired were disturbed by the males fighting, used to shoot them, and though he had widowed the same female several times, she always soon found a fresh partner. This same naturalist ordered the sparrows, which deprived the house-martins of their nests, to be shot but the one which was left be it cock or hen presently procured a mate and so for several times following i could add analogous cases relating to the chaffinch nightingale and redstart with respect to the latter bird phonicura ruticilla a writer expresses much surprise how the sitting female could so soon have given effectual notice that she was a widow for the species was not common in the neighbourhood Mr. Jenner Weir has mentioned to me a nearly similar case. At Blackheath he never sees or hears the note of the wild bullfinch. Yet when one of his caged males has died, a wild one in the course of a few days has generally come and perched near the widowed female, whose call note is not loud. I will give only one other fact, on the authority of this same observer. One of a pair of starlings, Sternus vulgaris, was shot in the morning. By noon a new mate was found. This was again shot, but before night the pair was complete. So that the disconsolate widow or widower was thrice consoled during the same day. Mr. Engelhardt also informs me that he used, during several years, to shoot one of a pair of starlings which built in a hole in a house at Blackheath but the loss was always immediately repaired during one season he kept an account and found that he had shot thirty-five birds from the same nest these consisted of both males and females but in what proportion he could not say nevertheless after all this destruction a brood was reared these facts well deserve attention how is it that there are birds enough ready to replace immediately a lost mate of either sex magpies jays carrion crows partridges and some other birds are always seen during the spring in pairs and never by themselves and these offer at first sight the most perplexing cases but birds of the same sex although of course not truly paired sometimes live in pairs or in small parties as is known to be the case with pigeons and partridges birds also sometimes live in triplets as has been observed with starlings carrion crows parrots and partridges with partridges two females have been known to live with one male and two males with one female in all such cases it is probable that the union would be easily broken and one of the three would readily pair with a widow or widower 
the males of certain birds may occasionally be heard pouring forth their love-song long after the proper time, showing that they have either lost or never gained a mate. Death from accident or disease of one of a pair would leave the other free and single, and there is reason to believe that female birds during the breeding season are especially liable to premature death. Again, birds which have had their nests destroyed, or barren pairs, or retarded individuals, would easily be induced to desert their mates, and would probably be glad to take what share they could of the pleasures and duties of rearing offspring, although not their own. See White on the existence, early in the season, of small coveys of male partridges, of which fact I have heard other instances see jenner on the retarded state of the generative organs in certain birds in regard to birds living in triplets i owe to mr jenner weir the cases of the starlings and parrots and to mr fox of partridges on carrion crows on various male birds singing after the proper period see rev l jennings such contingencies as these probably explain most of the foregoing cases the following case has been given by the rev f o morris on the authority of the honourable and rev o w forrester the gamekeeper here found a hawk's nest this year with five young ones on it he took four and killed them but left one with its wings clipped as a decoy to destroy the old ones by they were both shot next day in the act of feeding the young one and the keeper thought it was done with the next day he came again and found two other charitable hawks who had come with an adopted feeling to succour the orphan these two he killed and then left the nest on returning afterwards he found two more charitable individuals on the same errand of mercy one of these he killed the other he also shot but could not find no more came on the like fruitless errand nevertheless it is a strange fact that within the same district, during the height of the breeding season, there should be so many males and females always ready to repair the loss of a mated bird. Why do not such spare birds immediately pair together? Have we not some reason to suspect, and the suspicion has occurred to Mr. Jenner Weir, that as the courtship of birds appears to be in many cases prolonged and tedious, so it occasionally happens that certain males and females do not succeed, during the proper season, in exciting each other's love, and consequently do not pair? This suspicion will appear somewhat less improbable, after we have seen what strong antipathies and preferences female birds occasionally evince toward particular males mental qualities of birds and their taste for the beautiful before we further discuss the question whether the females select the more attractive males or accept the first whom they may encounter it will be advisable briefly to consider the mental powers of birds their reason is generally and perhaps justly ranked as low yet some facts could be given leading to an opposite conclusion i am indebted to professor newton for the following passage from mr adams travels of a naturalist speaking of japanese nut hatches in confinement he says instead of the more yielding fruit of the yew which is the usual food of the nut hatch of japan at one time i substituted hard hazelnuts 
As the bird was unable to crack them, he placed them one by one in his water-glass, evidently with the notion that they would in time become softer, an interesting proof of intelligence on the part of these birds. Low powers of reasoning, however, are compatible, as we see with mankind, with strong affections, acute perception, and a taste for the beautiful, and it is with these latter qualities that we are here concerned. It has often been said that parrots become so deeply attached to each other that when one dies the other pines for a long time. But Mr. Jenner Weir thinks that with most birds the strength of their affection has been much exaggerated. Nevertheless, when one of a pair in a state of nature has been shot, the survivor has been heard for days afterwards uttering a plaintive call, and Mr. St. John gives various facts proving the attachment of mated birds. Dr. Buller says that a male king lorry was killed, and the female fretted and moped, refused her food, and died of a broken heart. Mr. Bennett relates that in China, after a drake of the beautiful mandarin teal had been stolen, the duck remained disconsolate, though sedulously courted by another mandarin drake, who displayed before her all his charms. After an interval of three weeks the stolen drake was recovered, and instantly the pair recognized each other with extreme joy. On the other hand, starlings, as we have seen, may be consoled thrice in the same day for the loss of their mates. Pigeons have such excellent local memories that they have been known to return to their former homes after an interval of nine months. Yet, as I hear from Mr. Harrison Weir, if a pair which naturally would remain mated for life be separated for a few weeks during the winter, and afterwards matched with other birds, the two, when brought together again, rarely, if ever, recognize each other. Birds sometimes exhibit benevolent feelings. They will feed the deserted young ones, even of distinct species. But this perhaps ought to be considered as a mistaken instinct. They will feed, as shown in an earlier part of this work, adult birds of their own species which have become blind. Mr. Buxton gives a curious account of a parrot which took care of a frost-bitten and crippled bird of a distinct species, cleansed her feathers, and defended her from the attacks of the other parrots which roamed freely about his garden. It is a still more curious fact that these birds apparently evince some sympathy for the pleasures of their fellows. When a pair of cockatoos made a nest in an acacia tree, it was ridiculous to see the extravagant interest taken in the matter by the others of the same species. These parrots also evinced unbounded curiosity, and clearly had the idea of property and possession. They have good memories, for in the zoological gardens they have plainly recognized their former masters after an interval of some months. Birds possess acute powers of observation. Every mated bird, of course, recognizes its fellow. Audubon states that a certain number of mocking thrushes, Mimus polyglottus, remain all the year round in Louisiana, whilst others migrate to the eastern states. These latter, on their return, are instantly recognized, and always attacked, by their southern brethren. 
birds under confinement distinguish different persons as is proved by the strong and permanent antipathy or affection which they show without any apparent cause towards certain individuals i have heard of numerous instances with jays partridges canaries and especially bullfinches mr hussey has described in how extraordinary a manner a tamed partridge recognized everybody and its likes and dislikes were very strong this bird seemed fond of gay colours and no new gown or cap could be put on without catching his attention mr hewitt has described the habits of some ducks recently descended from wild birds which at the approach of a strange dog or cat would rush headlong into the water and exhaust themselves in their attempts to escape but they knew mr hewitt's own dogs and cats so well that they would lie down and bask in the sun close to them they always moved away from a strange man and so they would from the lady who attended them if she made any great change in her dress audubon relates that he reared and tamed a wild turkey which always ran away from any strange dog this bird escaped into the woods and some days afterwards audubon saw as he thought a wild turkey and made his dog chase it but to his astonishment the bird did not run away and the dog when he came up did not attack the bird for they mutually recognized each other as old friends mr jenner weir is convinced that birds pay particular attention to the colors of other birds sometimes out of jealousy and sometimes as a sign of kinship thus he turned a reed bunting emberiza schoeniculus which had acquired its black headdress into his aviary and the newcomer was not noticed by any bird except by a bullfinch which is likewise black-headed this bullfinch was a very quiet bird and had never before quarrelled with any of its comrades including another reed bunting which had not as yet become black-headed but the reed bunting with the black head was so unmercifully treated that it had to be removed spiza cyanea during the breeding season is of a bright blue colour and though generally peaceable it attacked spiza cirrus which has only the head blue and completely scalped the unfortunate bird mr weir was also obliged to turn out a robin as it fiercely attacked all the birds in his aviary with any red in their plumage but no other kinds it actually killed a red-breasted crossbill and nearly killed a goldfinch on the other hand he has observed that some birds when first introduced fly towards the species which resemble them most in colour and settle by their sides as male birds display their fine plumage and other ornaments with so much care before the females it is obviously probable that these appreciate the beauty of their suitors it is however difficult to obtain direct evidence of their capacity to appreciate beauty when birds gaze at themselves in a looking-glass of which many instances have been recorded we cannot feel sure that it is not from jealousy of a supposed rival though this is not the conclusion of some observers in other cases it is difficult to distinguish between mere curiosity and admiration 
It is perhaps the former feeling which, as stated by Lord Lifford, attracts the rough towards any bright object, so that, in the Ionian Islands, it will dart down to a bright-coloured handkerchief regardless of repeated shots. The common lark is drawn down from the sky, and is caught in large numbers by a small mirror made to move and glitter in the sun. Is it admiration or curiosity which leads the magpie, raven, and some other birds to steal and secrete bright objects such as silver articles or jewels? Mr. Gould states that certain hummingbirds decorate the outsides of their nests with the utmost taste. They instinctively fasten thereon beautiful pieces of flat lichen, the larger pieces in the middle and the smaller on the part attached to the branch. Now and then a pretty feather is intertwined or fastened to the outer sides, the stem being always so placed that the feather stands out beyond the surface. The best evidence, however, of a taste for the beautiful is afforded by the three genera of Australian bower-birds already mentioned. Their bowers, where the sexes congregate and play strange antics, are variously constructed, but what most concerns us is that they are decorated by the several species in a different manner. The satin bower-birds collect gaily-coloured articles, such as the blue tail-feathers of parakeets, bleached bones and shells, which it sticks between the twigs or arranges at the entrance. Mr. Gould found in one bower a neatly worked stone tomahawk and a slip of blue cotton, evidently procured from a native encampment. These objects are continually rearranged and carried about by the birds whilst at play. The bower of the spotted bower bird is beautifully lined with tall grasses, so disposed that the heads nearly meet and the decorations are very profuse. Round stones are used to keep the grass stems in their proper places, and to make divergent paths leading to the bower. The stones and shells are often brought from a great distance. The regent bird, as described by Mr. Ramsay, ornaments its short bower with bleached land shells belonging to five or six species, and with berries of various colours, blue, red, and black, which give it, when fresh, a very pretty appearance. Besides these there were several newly picked leaves, and young shoots of a pinkish colour, the whole showing a decided taste for the beautiful. Well may Mr. Gould say that these highly decorated halls of assembly must be regarded as the most wonderful instances of bird architecture yet discovered, and the taste, as we see, of the several species certainly differs. Preference for particular males by the females. Having made these preliminary remarks on the discrimination and taste of birds, I will give all the facts known to me which bear on the preference shown by the female for particular males. It is certain that distinct species of birds occasionally pair in a state of nature and produce hybrids. Many instances could be given. Thus MacGillivray relates how a male blackbird and female thrush fell in love with each other and produced offspring. Several years ago eighteen cases had been recorded of the occurrence in Great Britain of hybrids between the black grouse and pheasant. 
but most of these cases may perhaps be accounted for by solitary birds not finding one of their own species to pair with with other birds as mr jenner weir has reason to believe hybrids are sometimes the result of the casual intercourse of birds building in close proximity but these remarks do not apply to the many recorded instances of tamed or domestic birds belonging to distinct species which have become absolutely fascinated with each other although living with their own species thus waterton states that out of a flock of twenty-three canada geese a female paired with a solitary bernicle gander although so different in appearance and size and they produced hybrid offspring a male widgeon marica penelope living with females of the same species has been known to pair with a pintailed duck querquedula acuta lloyd describes the remarkable attachment between a shield drake tadorna valpansa and a common duck many additional instances could be given and the rev e s dixon remarks that those who have kept many different species of geese together well know what unaccountable attachments they are frequently forming and that they are quite as likely to pair and rear young with individuals of a race species apparently the most alien to themselves as with their own stock the rev w d fox informs me that he possessed at the same time a pair of chinese geese ansa signoides and a common gander with three geese the two lots kept quite separate until the chinese gander seduced one of the common geese to live with him moreover of the young birds hatched from the eggs of the common geese only four were pure the other eighteen proving hybrids so that the chinese gander seems to have had prepotent charms over the common gander i will give only one other case mr hewitt states that a wild duck reared in captivity after breeding a couple of seasons with her own mallard at once shook him off on my placing a male pintail on the water it was evidently a case of love at first sight for she swam about the newcomer caressingly though he appeared evidently alarmed and averse to her overtures of affection from that hour she forgot her old partner winter passed by and the next spring the pintails seemed to have become a convert to her blandishments for they nested and produced seven or eight young ones what the charm may have been in these several cases beyond mere novelty we cannot even conjecture colour however sometimes comes into play for in order to raise hybrids from the siskin fringula spinus and the canary it is much the best plan according to beckstein to place birds of the same tint together mr jenner weir turned a female canary into his aviary where there were male linnets goldfinches siskins greenfinches chaffinches and other birds in order to see which he would choose but there never was any doubt and the greenfinch carried the day they paired and produced hybrid offspring the fact of the female preferring to pair with one male rather than with another of the same species is not so likely to excite attention as when this occurs as we have just seen between distinct species the former cases can best be observed with domesticated or confined birds but these are often pampered by high feeding and sometimes have their instincts vitiated to an extreme degree 
of this latter fact i could give sufficient proofs with pigeons and especially with fowls but they cannot be here related vitiated instincts may also account for some of the hybrid unions above mentioned but in many of these cases the birds were allowed to range freely over large ponds and there is no reason to suppose that they were unnaturally stimulated by high feeding with respect to birds in a state of nature the first and most obvious supposition which will occur to every one is that the female at the proper season accepts the first male whom she may encounter but she has at least the opportunity for exerting a choice as she is almost invariably pursued by many males audubon and we must remember that he spent a long life in prowling about the forests of the united states and observing the birds does not doubt that the female deliberately chooses her mate thus speaking of a woodpecker he says the hen is followed by half a dozen gay suitors who continue performing strange antics until a marked preference is shown for one the female of the red-winged starling agalius phonicius is likewise pursued by several males until becoming fatigued she alights receives their addresses and soon makes a choice he describes also how several male night-jars repeatedly plunge through the air with astonishing rapidity suddenly turning and thus making a singular noise but no sooner has the female made her choice than the other males are driven away with one of the vultures cathartesora of the united states parties of eight ten or more males and females assemble on fallen logs exhibiting the strongest desire to please mutually and after many caresses each male leads off his partner on the wing audubon likewise carefully observed the wild flocks of canada geese ansa canadensis and gives a graphic description of their love antics he says that the birds which had been previously mated renewed their courtship as early as the month of january while the others would be contending or coquetting for hours every day until all seemed satisfied with the choice they had made after which although they remained together any person could easily perceive that they were careful to keep in pairs i have observed also that the older the birds the shorter were the preliminaries of their courtship the bachelors and old maids whether in regret or not caring to be disturbed by the bustle quietly moved aside and lay down at some distance from the rest many similar statements with respect to other birds could be cited from this same observer end of section sixteen reading by paul adams www.yawnguy.com